Dueling Eagles, written by Chad Clabo, read by Derek Durlam, produced by Studio Conundrum, copyright 2017, Chad Clabo. Chapter 23 Most of the people from Juarez who had crossed the border with Ned and Lisa were heading east along the highway that ran parallel to the Rio Grande River Basin, which was also the border with Juarez. Ned had decided to stay with the crowd because they were mainly heading into the right direction, and staying with the group would continue to keep them from being more readily noticed. As they walked, Ned could see that there were Chihuahuan soldiers cutting the fence posts that lined either side of the river with some kind of portable reciprocating saws. Was that part of the plan? asked Ned. Lisa looked over to where the men were working. Not that I knew of, but it only makes sense that they would want to make it easier for the people to come into El Paso, since civilian occupation is the major reason they believe the United States won't take back the city. The men were making quick work of the fences. The fence panels were quickly falling over, and the soldiers were leaving them where they lay. Let's take a closer look, said Ned. They tried to look inconspicuous as they separated from the crowd and moved closer to the border fences. The chain-link fence nearer to them was still up, but they could see through it easily, and the soldiers didn't seem to take any notice of them. Do you see that? asked Lisa. What? The canal is empty. Ned looked down at the concrete-lined basin. It was wet, as if there had recently been water in it, but there was no water flowing. I don't understand, said Ned. Isn't the Rio Grande always dry along here? Yes, replied Lisa. It's like an arroyo. But that isn't the Rio Grande. That's the American Canal, where most of the Rio Grande water is diverted to. It's almost always flowing. Ned looked further away, past where the men were taking down the fences, and could see the Rio Grande River Basin, which was also empty. What could have stopped the canal flow? asked Ned. They must have diverted the water. Probably at the American Dam. Maybe that was the explosion. But if they blew up the dam, said Ned, wouldn't there be water flowing down the riverbed? I suppose you're right. Still, something's going on with the water. Especially after all the talk about water rights at the trial, said Ned. This must be part of their plan. Maybe they diverted the water into Juarez at the International Dam. Ned thought for a moment. You could be right. That would actually be a convincing reason as to why they'd invade El Paso. They would have to hold the dams if they were going to maintain the water flow. Ned and Lisa rejoined the group on the main road. As they continued to walk with the border fences on their right and the highway sound barriers on their left, Ned began to feel like he was once again on the deportation highway, being herded along a predetermined path. He knew that they needed to head north, but just the two of them breaking from the rest of the group and trying to climb over the sound barriers would draw too much attention. They had been walking for a little more than twenty minutes when they saw a sign that read, Fonseca Drive, One Half Mile. Some people continued to walk, but the sign was causing others to become impatient as they started looking for a way to climb the wall. It wasn't impossibly high, but at six feet, it was going to be difficult for most people to scale by themselves. Come on, said Ned, as he held out his hands for Lisa to step on. She stepped up, he gave her an additional push, and she was at the top, and then over. Ned helped a couple of other agile-looking people up and over like this before asking someone else to give him a hand. Once he was over the wall, he could see that they were in some kind of park with a street called Edna Avenue on the other side. Heading east on Edna, they entered a residential neighborhood. It looked to be mostly abandoned with many of the houses' windows being boarded over. 
The people who were following them from the other side of the sound barrier began to break up as they examined the homes, looking for a place to stay. Ned imagined that if any of these homes were still occupied, there'd be trouble when the new arrivals decided to move in. Best to keep moving for now. Do you know this neighborhood at all? asked Ned. We need to get to Cortez Drive. I think it's east of here, but it looks like the street doesn't go through. Not well, replied Lisa. I know that Highway 62 is north of here. 62 is the border to the green zone, said Ned. But we need to get to Cortez if we're going to cross over. We'll head north for now. As they wound their way through the neighborhoods, Ned was surprised at how quiet the streets were. If there were gangs controlling the streets, it must have been too early in the morning for them to be out. They eventually found their way to Cortez Drive and headed north until they reached the wall into the green zone. Do you see that? Ned motioned toward a large gate in the wall. Of course, replied Lisa. That's where we're going in. Just then, there was the sound of a gunshot. Ned and Lisa both ran for cover. That was a blank warning shot. A voice over a bullhorn boomed. Do not approach the gate or you will be fired upon. Ned cupped his hands into a makeshift megaphone and yelled back, I have a password. Say again, the loud voice boomed. Ned tried to shout even louder. I have a password. There was a short pause, then, The two of you, approach the gate slowly with your hands up. Chapter 24 Ned and Lisa did as the voice had ordered. They approached the gate with their hands raised above their heads. As they neared the gate, the voice spoke again. State your password, the voice boomed, even though Ned couldn't see anybody there. Mockingbird, shouted Ned. There was no immediate response. Ned knew they would have to look it up. Challenge word, the voice continued. Vienna, please state the countersign. Fritzling, replied Ned. There was another momentary wait, then a small door opened in the larger gate. A United States soldier holding a rifle was on the other side. Approach the door one at a time, the soldier made eye contact with Ned. You first, then the girl. You will be searched for weapons. Do not lower your hands until the search has ended. I have a gun strapped over my shoulder underneath my jacket, said Ned. And I have a knife, Lisa added. The soldier nodded. So noted, he said. The soldier backed away, and Ned and Lisa went through the door. Lisa was frisked by one soldier who removed her knife, while another soldier removed Ned's jacket and then his gun. Sorry about all that, but we're on high alert since this morning, the soldier said. According to your password, you're either Ned Albrecht or Jack Stewart. Ned Albrecht, and you need to revoke that password. Jack Stewart is no longer a friendly. Is that so? The soldier looked surprised. Well, yes, sir, I'll pass that on. Listen, said the soldier. We're pretty busy here. Is there someone I can call for you? If you can get me in touch with Director Rodriguez or General Everly, said Ned. Not directly, the soldier replied. But we can put you on our next transport to HQ. Anyone else? Captain Smith or Private Phillips? The soldier hit a button on the radio he was wearing. I have a Ned Albrecht here looking for Captain Smith or Private Phillips. Over. Phillips here, a voice replied on the radio. Where is Mr. Albrecht? Over. We're here at Gate 7. Over. Roger that. I'm on my way. Over and out. Well then, the soldier said. It looks like you two have a ride. Private Phillips arrived just a few minutes later in the same vehicle that they had driven the day before. Good to see you, Mr. Albrecht. The private jumped out of the vehicle and opened the back door. It looks like you made a friend. Private Phillips, this is Lisa Madero. Lisa, Private Phillips. Miss Madero? The private tipped his hat as he held the door for Lisa, then speaking directly to Ned. 
Mr. Stewart isn't with you? I'm afraid that Mr. Stewart is working with the Mexican insurgents. Ned was getting into the front passenger seat. Where are we headed, Phillips? Jack's with the Mexicans? There was a visible look of shock on his face. Sorry, sir. We're headed back to the civilian op HQ. I've been assisting Director Rodriguez there since last night. So we're seeing the director? That's right, sir, the private replied. How could Mr. Stewart be with the Mexicans? Well, Private, that's kind of a long story, and we only have a few blocks to drive, so we better save it for later. Has anything been happening here that I should know about? As you might assume, sir, all hell kind of broke loose this morning when the Mexicans stormed the border. Do you know anything about what they're doing? Only that they seem to be amassing at the two dam sites, but they're taking down fences all along the border. We've completely retreated into the green zone. Casualties have been relatively low, but we lost more than a hundred men early on in the fighting. Almost everyone standing at the border was shot down. It was a well-coordinated attack, and we weren't expecting it at all. By the time we thought to charge back, the border had already been lost. Ned thought that he was pretty well informed for a private, but it must have come from working with Director Rodriguez. And what about that explosion? asked Ned. That was at the International Dam. It went off at the same time they stormed the border. They did a pretty good job of it, too. It looks like even when we take back the dam, the water's still going to be flowing down the Rio Grande for a while. They arrived at the operational headquarters building and walked into the lobby. The private led them to the elevator. The soldiers that the general sent down yesterday managed to get the generator working, so there's power in the building now. They proceeded to the director's office. Ned introduced Lisa to Director Rodriguez and briefly recounted the story of their capture and Jack's betrayal. You know, said the director, I always thought there was something a bit off about that man. Well, said Ned, hindsight being twenty-twenty, there were some things about him that seem off to me now, too, but I had no idea that he was going to betray us like that. No, the director replied. You're right. I didn't see this coming either. The satellite phone that was sitting on the director's desk started to ring. I called the general and told him that you were on your way. He said he would call back, so this is probably him. She picked up the phone, pressed a button on it, and held it to her ear. Yes, General, he's here now. Would you like to talk to him? What? No? Are you certain that's necessary? All right, General, I understand. Goodbye. Abby, what was that? asked Ned. That was the General, the director replied. He said that the only reason we've been holding the green zone as long as we have is because we've been waiting for you to return. He's now ordering the evacuation of the city, and we're to retreat to Biggs Army Airfield. To the airfield? asked Ned. Does that mean we're abandoning the headquarters at Fort Bliss as well? Director Rodriguez looked as concerned about the situation as Ned felt. Finally, she said, It would appear so. Chapter 25 It was only ten o'clock in the morning, but it felt much later to Ned. What little sleep he had gotten last night wasn't good sleep, and he'd been on his feet for nearly five hours. Once again, Ned was back inside the military transport vehicle with Private Phillips driving. Director Rodriguez and her secretary were riding in the two back seats, and Lisa had been relegated to sitting in the storage area in the back. It took them nearly half an hour to make the trip, even though they were at the front of the mass retreat to the airfield. As they drove past the administrative section of Fort Bliss, Ned could see dozens of trucks being loaded full of filing cabinets and computers. It was such a massive amount of work, Ned had to believe that they wouldn't be going through with this unless the general believed it was absolutely necessary. By the time they arrived at the airfield, there were already dozens of temporary shelters set up, and dozens more in the process. There were also several hangars with their bay doors wide open, and one large office building where they were to report to the general. 
Ned introduced Lisa to the general and once again told the story about his night in Mexico. So your friend Jack's a traitor, General Everly stated. But you say his real aim is Texan independence from the United States. It's hard for me to wrap my head around that one. With all due respect, General, said Director Rodriguez, you're not from Texas. That attitude, while not common, is something most native Texans have run into at some point. There are definitely a significant number of people raised here who feel that Texas should not be beholden to the United States government. Part and parcel with the South Shall Rise Again crowd, I expect, said the general. Yes, I ran into people like that myself growing up, thinking that the southern states would indeed once again rise up against the federal government. The general shook his head. But what do we do now, general? asked Ned. Why have we completely abandoned the city? According to satellite imagery of this morning's invasion, we believe that they have more than 20,000 soldiers. Add to that the civilian population that is flooding into El Paso, and there's no way we have the manpower to defend the green zone. Certainly not without bringing out the heavy machinery and mowing them down, and the president isn't ready for mass casualties. We're going to be raising bulwarks around the airfield and we'll be holding position here for now. Director Rodriguez will be staying here to administrate the relocation center, the general continued. Even after yesterday's deportation, there are still several thousand aliens being held there, and someone has to look after them, as I expect they aren't going to be deported anytime soon. You, Mr. Albrecht, are going to be on a plane to Austin before noon. Your senator boss is there and is anxious to see you, as is the governor. I'll call ahead and tell them what you've told me. Your new friend can stay here and I'll have her debriefed. No, General, Miss Madero is coming with me. You can debrief her before I go, but I'm not going to leave her behind. The General gave Ned an awful glare. That look told Ned that the General wasn't going to go along with this easily. I'll talk to Senator Andreas about this if I have to, Ned continued, but I'm certain he'll back me up. The General held his stare for a moment, but then relented. All right, Mr. Albrecht, said the general. Have it your own way. Chapter 26 Ned sat in on Lisa's debriefing. It wasn't the first time that he had seen this kind of thing done. In fact, he'd gone through it himself more than once. But he was still amazed at the efficiency and effectiveness of the questions that were asked by someone who was trained to do so. The additional information that the interviewer dug out of her about the Chihuahuan Liberation Army seemed so much more comprehensive than what Ned had learned while talking to her on their way out of Juarez. After the interview was over, Lisa told Ned she hadn't even realized how much she knew until all the questions were asked. After the debriefing, Ned and Lisa were both rushed to a military plane that had been waiting for them to leave for Austin. Unlike the plane that had flown Ned into El Paso, which was filled with soldiers, this one was smaller and nearly empty. I've only flown on a plane once before, said Lisa, and that was to visit my aunt in California back when I was eleven. It probably wasn't like this plane, said Ned. Not at all. It was enormous, with rows and rows of seats and everyone filled. It was so crowded. My father complained about the legroom, but I was so little I didn't even notice. Plenty of legroom here, all right, said Ned. And there are only thirty seats. Even if it was full, it wouldn't seem crowded. Lisa looked around. There were only three other people on the plane, but everyone had spread out so that no one was sitting together except for Ned and Lisa. They aren't evacuating the civilians? asked Lisa. They're probably being evacuated to the airfield, 
But until the military starts to get a better handle on exactly what's going on with this invasion, they probably won't be arranging military transport for civilians. Of course, anyone who has a car can still drive away, but there aren't a lot of people left in El Paso who have cars that aren't supporting the military on some level, so they'll be expected to stay anyway. I expect that the only reason they chartered this flight was to send you and me back to Austin. You should feel privileged. I might, if they were doing it for me, said Lisa. I was supposed to stay in El Paso, remember? Ned nodded quietly. Why do you want me in Austin with you anyway? Well, I thought that the senator would want to meet with you since a lot of the intelligence I gathered in Mexico comes from what you know. There has to be more than that. I think you wanted to sleep with me, except... I was really surprised when you argued with the general about me because I didn't think you liked me. Listen, Lisa, it's not that I don't like you, it's just that I have a girlfriend, so I'm not going to have romantic feelings for you. But I do like you, and I never would have gotten out of Juarez without your help. So now you think you have to take care of me. Sort of, but it's not that simple. When you first said that you could get me out of that jail cell, you told me that I had to take you with me out of Juarez. Now we're out, but there's still a good chance you could get lost in the shuffle, maybe even end up with the deportees. I've seen people fall through the cracks before, and I don't want that to happen to you, especially not after our agreement in Juarez. So it's not so much that I have to take care of you as it is that I have a responsibility to make sure you're okay. Like, that's part of the deal. Do you understand? I think so, she said. I hope that doesn't mean I'm stuck with you forever now. Not forever, no. But you might have to put up with me until I can get you a residence visa. How long will that take? If we were in Washington, I could probably push an emergency visa through in a day. It will probably take longer from Austin, though. They sat quietly for a moment, then Lisa spoke. So you have a girlfriend? Yes, said Ned. Her name's Marlene. She's a reporter. I'm probably overdue to give her a call. Maybe when we land. They sat quietly for another moment. Then Lisa spoke again. You said earlier that there were some people in El Paso who didn't have cars so they couldn't leave? It wouldn't be easy for them, said Ned. Not now, anyway. I suppose the people who don't have cars are the poor, said Lisa. And the homeless, said Ned. I guess it's not only the people of Juarez that have been suffering. No, not only them, but many El Paso residents had a way out back when this thing started. The government had a buyout program for people whose home values had been depreciated, which was pretty much everyone who owned a home. I actually did a lot of work on that program for the senator. Renters weren't as well taken care of, but there were programs for them as well. There were even free buses that ran from El Paso to Dallas back in February for anyone who wanted to take them, so even the poor had a way out if they had wanted to leave. So you took care of your own people. I suppose that's only natural. It's just sad there wasn't anyone to take care of us in Juarez. They sat in silence for a moment, before Lisa asked how long the flight would last. Less than an hour, answered Ned. Hardly enough time to sleep, then. Go ahead and close your eyes, said Ned. You might get forty winks. How long is forty winks? Twenty minutes, said Ned. That's the shortest nap I'd recommend. Will you close your eyes, too? I will. Ned closed his eyes, but he didn't sleep. Dueling Eagles Written by Chad Claybo Read by Derek Durlam Produced by Studio Conundrum Copyright 2017, Chad Claybo